Large cities and suburbs have immigrant enclaves, and it's not that uncommon to see signs in Spanish, Arabic, Korean. One language you don't see too often? Finnish. That is, of course, if you're anywhere but Hancock, a small town in the Upper Peninsula. You know, when I have Finnish guests come and I pick them up at the airport and I drive them down, they see place names in Finnish, they see Finnish flags everywhere, they see Finnish names on mailboxes, they see road signs in Finnish. This is a place where a lot of Finnish folklorists and researchers like myself like to come here because it's one of the few places in America where, and and this is reducing year by year, you can hear Finnish language spoken out in the everyday. So this is the kind of place where Finnishness really hits you in the face. That's Hilary Joy Virtanen. We had her on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. You remember to talk about a Finnish-American legend, Heiki Lunta? Hillary's an associate professor of Finnish and Nordic studies at Finlandia University. But not for much longer. That's because Finlandia, after 126 years in operation, is shutting its doors due to financial hardship. So many people like Hillary feel this strong identification with Finnish heritage and culture. And Finlandia has been a huge part of that. Today, the closing of a UP institution. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Founded as the Suomi College and Theological Seminary, Finlandia University has really kept the culture alive up north in ways that affected thousands of people over the years. And while Finlandia may be unique, its financial struggles are not. We are not unlike many small private liberal arts institutions in the country. Uh, anyone who follows higher ed know there's been a number of them that closed in the northeast part of the country over the last decade. That's starting to spread toward the Midwest. That's Timothy Pino. He's the president of Finlandia and our guest today. It has to do with with several things. One is uh, we call it the demographic cliff. There are simply are not anywhere near the uh, amount of 18-year-olds going, uh, just there aren't as many, right? Uh, we aren't producing as many. And so there's a real drop in the number of traditional college-age students even available, which means every university is fighting for a smaller and smaller piece of a pie. The second part is that, particularly in the state of Michigan, uh, saw some demographics, um, some statistics a couple of weeks ago, that indicated that Pell-eligible students, those on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, uh, in in the course of the last 10 years, the number of those students who qualify for the Pell Grant in Michigan who are 18, the number that go to college has dropped by 50%. So we have half the number of students, Pell students, we had uh, 10 years ago, about. And so that's a huge hit for us. We are a 50% of our student body is Pell eligible. We pride ourselves in servicing that particular demographic. Uh, We think it's important. And so that was a second hit to us. And then the third is uh, over the court, as as higher ed has gotten more and more difficult, and we certainly all have been hit by, you know, almost double digit inflation this year, um, that has led to, to needing to take on more and more debt. In the sum of things, we simply cannot take on any more debt. We are are maxed in our debt load. And so our debt service became uh, unbearable. We had fewer students and fewer students are interested in going to college. And that's that's really the three factors that combine for this decision. 
What is it about a student body under 1,000 that makes it so hard for an institution to make ends meet? Yeah, it, it really has to do with economy of scale, right? So when you have, if you're going to run a university, you have to have somebody in student accounts and somebody in financial aid as employees, and you have to have tutors for each of the areas that you have, uh, at least your general education areas, and you need to have a certain number of student support services. So you can think, one of the ways to think about it is if you were, um, say, the University of Michigan, and you had a dorm that had uh, 500 students in it, you might have a bunch of RAs and you might have two assistant hall directors and you might have uh, one hall director at the maximum, right, for 500 students. At a place like Finlandia where the dorm houses 150 students, you still need a, a hall director, you still need at least one person under them and then some RAs. And so you you just get to a point where you, if you are going to cut any more back on any more staff, you no longer are giving the students the quality education and the quality experience that they need. So it's really about economy of scale. Can you talk to us about the inflection point there? I, I remember when you took on this job at Finlandia last summer, you had talked about you know the many challenges. This was, this was a sort of an open secret that anybody really in higher education in Michigan can, can talk about. But what was the inflection point for things coming to a head? I don't know that you would say that there was a single inflection point. Um, we set up a number of benchmarks over the course of the last year um, and also had a roadmap that would allow us to continue things that we thought would help boost enrollment, new programs that, that no one else in the region was offering and those sorts of things, uh, arrangements with other institutions to offer sort of joint programs uh, and things that were needed. So we had a pathway forward. We knew that we were gonna have some great challenges. I, I sort of said every, to everyone starting in about September, once I got on the ground and saw the, saw the real situation, that if we made it through this year, we had a chance, but this year would be the hardest. And I think when we got into the fall semester, we saw another enrollment drop, pretty standard how much it's dropped over the last few years. And then uh, when we got into spring semester, there's always a drop from fall to spring. Uh, but this one was maybe a little bit worse than we'd seen in the past, but it just put us to a point where we had to say we have not reversed the trend. Um, and, and all the things that, that we have been trying, um, ha are we not sure they're going to be enough. So then we looked at some property sales and we still had hope. Uh, the board still had hope up until last week. All, they did not vote to actually not enroll students until about three hours before it was announced publicly is when they had the final vote. And, and so up until the night before, the board was trying to work on a major donation and we were trying to work on some major property sales to try and fill the gaps. And, and we just got to the point where the end of the road uh, happened. We need to take a break. More in just a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. 
Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Finlandia will not be enrolling new students for the next academic year. What is going to happen to the students who are enrolled right now? Yeah, great question. So our creditor, the Higher Learning Commission, has a very strict requirements when this happens. And it means that we, we have to have what are called teach-out plans and teach-out agreements with, with various other institutions so that our students... Um, it's not really a transfer. Uh, we can think of it as a transfer to other institutions, but it's not technically a transfer. What happens is they will be able to move to those other institutions and pay essentially the same amount that they were paying at Finlandia. They will be able to complete their education in about the same amount of time as they would have completed it at Finlandia. Uh, and they will have guaranteed admission as long as they're a student in good standing at Finlandia. So. We have a number of those in place already, um, particularly for those in the UP. We have one with Michigan Tech. Uh, we have one with Northern Michigan. We, are, we have one with Bay College for our two-year programs. Uh, we have one with Adrian uh, downstate. And we're working on several more so that all of our students will be able to as seamlessly as, as we can possibly make it uh, transition to a new institution. So many things about the UP that are unique to the UP have something to do with geography. How many of the students who are currently enrolled are, are from the immediate area? Uh, it also depends on how you define the immediate area, but about 50% of our students are from the state of Michigan. I think it's just over half of that group are from the UP. There's a larger issue here in the role that Finlandia has played in keeping the UP's connection to Finnish culture alive through the Finnish American Heritage Center. Uh, it has a, an, an archive, pretty extensive archive and an art gallery and much more. Who's going to take over those things? In the midst of all the, the horrible news, uh, I've been, I have been working very hard and was able to um, secure a, an uh, agreement in principle with the uh, Finlandia Foundation National which is a charitable organization based in New York. Um, but they have agreed to give us short-term funding to keep what I call the Finnish units, uh, which are um, the Finnish American Reporter, the newspaper, the Finnish American Heritage Center, the Art Gallery, Northwind Books, and the Folk School, all operating over the next 90 days. At the same time, they've created a task force whose express purpose is to find a way to purchase those units from the university and then uh, run them and keep them going. And that, uh, that is, a, in the midst of all the darkness, is I think our biggest, our biggest, most exciting good news and piece of light that we're all holding on to. So, so the good news at this point is it looks like all of those units, well, they will continue to operate for the next 90 days, but hopefully by the end of those 90 days, we'll have completed a sale and then they will operate uh, continually. Is there anything else that I haven't mentioned that you think is important for people to understand about Finlandia? You know, I think um, you, you mentioned the Finnish culture. I think the, the thing to, to really know about this place is that um, that Finnish concept of Sisu is alive and well here. It is, 
the, the notion that even when you have no resources left, you try and keep going and you keep going anyway. And that has kept this place alive for 126 years. There's a great story in the, in the history of this place that during its first month in existence, um, the president at the time, uh, J.K. Nykander, uh, at, he was in a carriage driving back from uh, South Range, which is only about seven, eight miles to the south of here. And he asked his driver to pull over so that they could uh, kneel on the side of the road and pray that Finlandia would make it through the month. And if you know anything about the history of Finlandia throughout its tenure, it has continually butted up against that same situation. So it is a little tenacious institution that is fiercely loyal to its heritage, both its Finnish heritage and its Lutheran heritage. The people who are here want to work here. They take, they take a, a much smaller paycheck uh, to work here because they believe in its mission and believe in its students. The students who come here are students who are who need this place, who need this kind of place, um, who typically maybe need a little more help than they would find at, at a large institution like Michigan State or the University of Michigan. They need that personal touch. Um, and there are often students who, who are first-generation college. Those are about 50% as well or, on the, or Pell eligible. And so this is a huge step for them. And, and we do our best to change lives and change trajectories of whole families. And we've done that for 126 years. Unfortunately, we are at a place where every, all the SISU we had has, has run out. Uh, we don't have any more options. And so what we are really focused on now is making sure those students go on and survive and thrive at another institution and that we make sure that our employees, our faculty and staff are well taken care of and we help them as much as we can to move on to their next chapters. And that's the Stateside Podcast today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes for streaming at michiganradio.org. Today's pod episode was produced by Rachel Ishikawa, our podcast editor. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feeds tomorrow. See you then. I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.